I'll be reading from two scripture passages this morning. I'll begin with the Old Testament. We'll read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Again, this is God's word from Deuteronomy. I would remind you that this is, in fact, God's holy word. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, of springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And then the uh, New Testament text, which is our sermon text, is John chapter 6, verses 48 through 49. Also the word of God. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And let us pray that God will bless the preaching of his holy word. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your word. 
which has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, given that we know that we must not only give careful attention to the reading of it, but also certainly to the preaching of it. So Father, help us to give careful attention to this word, to focus, to concentrate upon it. And God, we pray that you would bless um, your servant as he seeks to preach this rightly in your sight. And God, may we hear both the law convicting us of our sins and also the gospel convicting us that our salvation or everything, ultimately speaking, is in Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So our passage this morning contains some of the most striking words of Jesus that we find in the Bible. For Jesus says that everyone must eat his flesh and drink his blood. So we all understand that those are figurative words. We don't literally eat his flesh and literally drink his blood. Uh, But we need to understand what the figure means, what the import is, what the purpose is. And we'll argue that it has something to do with developing proper tastes. So we must learn, first of all, to lose our taste, in a matter of speaking, for the things of this life in the ultimate sense. This is certainly what the Jews needed to learn according to our passage. So a bit of context, if we go back to the beginning of chapter six, we can remember that Jesus had miraculously fed the 5,000. And the Jews are so impressed with this that they want to make him king. And of course, Jesus rejects this. He's not an earthly king, he is a heavenly king. Well, the next day, after Jesus had miraculously walked on the waters of the Sea of Galilee, the Jews seek out Jesus again. And Jesus understands that they are doing this not because they are interested in him uh, really, ultimately, but they are interested in having their bellies filled once again. But out of the mercy and love for these people, Jesus tells them not to seek temporal food that perishes, but to seek eternal food that comes from him. And seeking this food and receiving it from Jesus involves having faith in Jesus, true faith in Jesus Christ. Then the Jews respond with words that will help us to understand our passage better. Again, we're, we're considering the context here, which tells us the meaning or surrounds the meaning of our text. So Jesus uh, responds, um, or rather, the Jews respond, the what sign uh, do you do that we may see and believe you? Uh, What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the crowds here find it hard to believe that Jesus can give them eternal life, which is something they detect is an implication for the words he previously said on faith. Therefore, they need proof that he can make such a claim which is why they ask for a sign or a work according to verse 30. They follow up this demand with a comment about the fathers, that is uh, Israel's eating manna in the wilderness, which God gave them from heaven. This comment in context comes because Jesus had just provided them with bread, of course, and had mentioned food that endures to eternal life. So basically they're saying to Jesus, Do you think that what you have to offer us is greater than what God miraculously gave the Israelites in the desert? Is that what you're saying? 
This is to say, God gave Israel the bread from heaven, not Moses. But now, in this moment, God is giving people Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, the true bread from heaven. After all, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in him, one truly knows God and has eternal life. Jesus is the bread of God come down from heaven to give life to the world. This is what Jesus himself teaches. Well, after Jesus then discusses election as that which is the origin of faith, we come to our passage. Jesus says in verse 48 that he is the bread of life. But the Jews have been thinking that the bread of life was found in the manna which God gave the Israelites in the desert. They're misled. But Jesus says in verse 49, the fathers, the Israelites, ate the manna and they died. For sure, this manna was from heaven. It was given miraculously, but it only gave temporal life. It had no saving eternal value. In contrast, Jesus says that when the living bread from heaven is ingested, which is a reference to himself and his work on the cross, when that is received through faith, then one does not die. No, rather, he lives eternally in heaven. In in this passage, then, eating is equated with believing in Jesus. That's very important to understand. When he talks about eating, he's talking about having faith in Jesus. And this eating can be said in contrast to the kind of eating the uh, Jews partook in and the kind of eating we partake in today. The eating or meals we partake in is temporal, having no saving value. And to be sure, temporal bread and all the gifts of creation come from God and they are good but they are not to be given the eternal weight that we so often give them. Hence, this is a big upshot of the sermon here, we need to learn to lose our taste for the things of this life in the ultimate sense. So all of us are inclined to find strength and vitality from the activities and pursuits of this life, to be sure, whatever they may be. But this inclination often eclipses finding strength and vitality in Jesus Christ for spiritual life. We exchange the eternal things, in other words, for the temporal things. So if we develop a taste, as it were, for a certain kind of life on this earth, then ultimate eternal life is not appealing. Spiritual ultimate realities are not appealing because we're stuck in the temporal would have a taste for it. For example, if, we're, if we've grown accustomed to eating junk food all of our life, then when we're presented with really healthy food, it doesn't taste very good at all. If you're a kid introduced to a lot of sugary foods early on in your life, and then you're presented with something that is sugarless, you hate it, it tastes terrible. On the other hand, it's just the opposite. If you're raised in a home when you really have no sugary treats, the first time you eat a hostess ding-dong, you want to vomit. I mean, it just tastes terrible. It's too much sugar. Culinary tastes are cultivated and maintained by consistent consumption of certain foods over time. And food outside of the normal consumption pattern is not desired. 
So we cultivate a certain kind of taste for this life. And in contrast, eternal things, spiritual things, godly things are not attractive. They don't have a good taste for us. So the good things of the creation, food, activities, and various pursuits are not inherently bad. They're not junk food. They are good things. But we must learn to lose our taste for them in the ultimate sense. Our hearts and minds cannot be fully bound up, caught up, and invested in this life as if this life is all there is to live for, and a lot of people live that way. Rather, we must cultivate and maintain a taste for spiritual food. That is the things of God and his eternal kingdom centered on Jesus Christ our Lord. This is precisely what Jesus is teaching the Jews in our passage. He's saying to them, lose your earthly desires in the ultimate sense. Develop heavenly desires in him. But Jesus uses, you see, the metaphor of eating to make his point since the Jews are fixated on manna and the physical bread that Jesus had just provided them. They're missing Christ for the bread that he provided them for another uh, point. And this is why in our passage, Jesus keeps talking about himself as the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven, the living bread, and the bread he gives for the life of the world, which is his flesh. And according to verse 52, this language of Jesus offering his flesh is completely scandalous to the Jews. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Asks the Jews. That's crazy talk. In response, Jesus doubles down. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So for those outside the church, those unfamiliar with the scriptures, this does sound crazy. But what Jesus is saying is that he is the word become flesh. As John opens our prologue, Jesus, the eternal son of God, became man, which means he became human flesh and human blood. And the only way to have eternal life is to eat this flesh and to drink this blood. This is not a reference to the Lord's Supper, although it has implications for the Lord's Supper, but it's a reference to the absolute need to have faith in Jesus as the one who died on the cross, as a real man. To eat Jesus' flesh and blood is to come to Jesus and to believe in him and the sacrifice of his own flesh and blood on that cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came down on high to earth, lowly, and suffering to die in our place for our eternal salvation. So we must develop a taste for Jesus that recenters us, that takes us away from the obsession we have uh, for this life, for the temporal. And to make this point, Jesus even doubles down more in verse 54. He says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. So the word in the original here for feeds can be more directly translated gnawing or crunching. 
It's a very unusual word to be used in this context. So the point that Jesus is doing by changing the words here is saying, no, I really mean it. You must accept me and believe in me as the lowly, suffering Messiah, who, as Isaiah says, has no form or majesty that anyone would look at me and no beauty that anyone should desire me. So you see, feeding, gnawing, crunching on the flesh of Christ means to accept the hard reality that the Messiah of God is not an earthly king. He's not a king who will give us the temporal things that we so desperately want in this life. No, he is a lowly, suffering king, the crown of thorns, who dies on a cross, who seems to be defeated, but he is raised from the dead. Jesus says, to eat my flesh and drink my blood means you need to receive that. You need to believe in that for eternal life. And so Jesus finishes in the following verses, for my flesh is true blood, or rather true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is a bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever and will not die. The key here is to understand that when we feed on Christ, that is when we assert faith in him, true faith in him, we abide in him. That is, we fellowship with him, we draw closer to him and find our life in the deepest way possible. All of us as image bearers of God want God. We were designed in his image to worship God, to know him. Yet everything always knocks us off on the track of that uh, trajectory. To feed on Christ by faith so that we fellowship with him begs for an illustration. So a perfect one is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This is a really wonderful text. It's a very short text, but just filled with uh, meaning in terms of what it means to have an interest in Jesus and to fellowship with Jesus and to abide in Jesus. So this is Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So one theologian uh, comments that the one thing necessary, the good portion, which is indispensable, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. Listening to him, focusing on him. And so when we listen to Jesus and his word, we actually receive grace that wells up to eternal life, filling us with comfort 
and satisfaction unparalleled in this life. But we have to listen. There's so many distractions that we face every day, even in church. We know that our phone's next to us and we want to look at it. We need to stop. We need to focus and concentrate on our Lord. Now, the same theologian quotes St. Augustine, who argues that this passage was about Mary eating Jesus. So, yes, this is what Jesus teaches that we must do according to our passage, right? We have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That is to fellowship with him, to look to him. And here's what Augustine says about the Luke passage. This is just an amazing quote. For Mary was intent on the sweetness of the Lord's word. Martha was intent how she might feed the Lord. Mary intent how she might be fed by the Lord. By Martha, a feast was being prepared for the Lord, in whose feast Mary was now even delighting herself. As Mary then was listening with sweet pleasure to his most sweet words and was feeding with the most earnest affection, when the Lord was appealed to by her sister, how think we, did she fear, lest the Lord should say to her, rise and help your sister? That would be a terrible thing. For by a wondrous sweetness was she held, a sweetness of the mind, which is doubtless greater than that of the senses. She was excused, she sat in greater confidence. And so, brothers and sisters, in conclusion, we must feed on Jesus as he commands, which is to believe in him, to listen to him. And to say that we must listen to Jesus in his word is not law. It is rather an activity in which we receive grace and forgiveness for all of our sins which so weigh us down. Listening to Jesus, that is eating and feeding on him, is deeply and eternally filling, we say, and it is satisfying, truly satisfying. Listening to the world and its noise always leaves us hungry, empty, and wants for something else. There's so many meaningless distractions and man-made laws in this life that we should be and feel better. This is law. No friends. Come to Jesus and feed on him. Jesus says himself, eat his flesh and drink his blood and find relief from the darkness and slavery of sin. Live forever right now as you ingest his life and work for you. Feast on him, drawing close to him, your Savior, King, and Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, truly uh, your wor word is uh, a sword. It cuts to the marrow of our soul. It convicts us of sin, yet God also, it has life in itself by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we've heard encouraging words from your word that often we're our own worst enemies as we try to distract ourselves from you and, and find life in this world and excitement just here. And for sure, Father, there's so many great things in this creation. 
Uh, but uh, Father, ultimately, our love is for you and for your Son and your Spirit. So God, we uh, again pray that you would fill us with your Spirit and help us to understand that your ways are good, your paths of righteousness are satisfying. So God, help us uh, to come to Christ again and again uh, for forgiveness and for life uh, that we find in him. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.